The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Relationship goals. <laughs> I asked that, right? Some of you are like, I have a new relationship goal. Um, the entirety of the 7.7 billion people on earth, except one, is made of others. Think about it for a moment. I know you're, you're thinking about it. Which means how we treat people is really important. And relationships are kind of important. And so we need to learn how to interact with people well if we're going to survive on a planet made up of others. And I don't know, maybe you've got this thing nailed. I mean, maybe you've got, hey, Google all figured out and you've cracked the code. I mean, you've got life hacks. Maybe you've got life hacked. And as a result, relationships are awesome. I mean, you've got it all figured out. You know how to do it. This sermon might not be all that helpful for you. Um, and, and if that's the case, I mean, feel free, pull out your smartphone. You can be busy doing something else. And then when we, when we get the rest of the service, you can check back in with me. If you're anything like me, however, and you find that there's some challenges in that area of life, you find the other seven point, you find everyone else, 7.7 billion people, uh, th that to be a little bit challenging, then I hope that I can be helpful for you. Now, of those 7.7 .7 billion people, I've realized that there is a small percentage of them that are cat lovers. Uh, are there any, are any cat lovers out here? Maybe, I, I know those of you that join us online are, because your social media feeds are filled with pictures of little cats. Um, <laughs> And especially around Valentine's Day, I don't know, like cats and roses, cats and chocolates, cats and whatever else. Um, I'm not a cat person. And you can boo me, I don't care. This is like, <laughs> I, I root for the Yankees. I root for the Patriots. I root for the Empire. <laughs> I, I hate cats. Uh, so now you know my life journey. Um, so however, however, in my house, there are some cat lovers, and that creates challenge. Uh, and, and so we, fortunately, Laura is allergic to cats. So that's awesome. It's like such an answer to prayer. Um, <laughs> but my girls love cats and have always loved cats and have spent their life praying. And as a result, I think they've wrestled with whether God actually hears prayers. Until one day, one of my daughters was praying so much, and I, I, I mean, I'm not kidding you, a cat just showed up at her house <laughs> and adopted us. <laughs> and then Laura's like, Patrick, we have to buy food for this little kitty cat. I just, I feel like this is gonna be a cathartic sermon for me. I'm just gonna pause and I'm gonna have my own little personal come to Jesus moment. Um, and, and, and so I got cat food. And I didn't know there were like a thousand different cat foods. You can get dry cat food and little canned cat food, whatever. Uh, and, then, and then she wanted me to let them build a little house outside of our door for this cat. And so now we have these two boxes, I mean like the top, top, whatever, plastic bins that are like the size of our bedroom outside of our, like on our patio with a little cat. And then we had to put little like 
towels in there and blankets throughout the winter. Well, that cat got pregnant and had another cat. <laughs> and now we have two cats living outside of our pad. Actually, we had several, whatever. I don't want to get into this. This is going to really be a counseling session for me. Um, uh, and so we, now we have two cats. Tiger is mommy cat. And then we have Cheeto. That, because he looks like a giant Cheeto. And uh, so we, Tiger and Cheeto. And so guess what? Every time when I want to go out my back door, the cat dish is there and the water dish is there. And, and I've, I've told my kids uh, countless times, get those dishes out off the step and get the house away from me. I'm going to kick it off, right? Like I'm so frustrated, especially in the winter when I don't want to be trying to tiptoe over the ice that's whatever. And then every time I go out to grill on my back patio, guess what I have begging for my chicken and my steak and all the other food I want to, I don't want to feed you. I don't want to see you. I don't like you and they don't get it. These cats think because I give them pieces of chicken, I like them. I don't like them. I'm trying to get rid of them. So I give them chicken. I give them pieces of steak. They eat better than I do. And, and so here's, here's my, I feel trapped by these cats because I can't go out my front, my back door. I feel like they abuse my kindness. I feel like they have they have manipulated my home because they've befriended my children against me. <laughs> really, and I wonder if this is how we treat people. Uh, and you knew this was coming, right? You knew I was gonna tie it all together, watch this. Um, some of you, you just don't want people in your life. And you're irritated when there's people out your back door. I don't know if that's probably, you should be irritated. <laughs> Especially if they're looking in your house like my cats do. Um, but maybe you're just, maybe you just don't like people and then they come in your life and you're like, you know, uh, you, you bristle at them. You're like, get out of my life. And, and then you realize they won't go away. And you're like, oh my goodness, I go to work and they are still there. And I go to school and people show up and, and you, they just grate at you. And others of you, you feel trapped in relationship. You feel stuck with people. You know you have to be in relationship with them, but you're like, I, I wish somehow I could have a hug from you without you ever touching me. You know what I'm saying? And then others, so for you, people are a problem. And caring becomes a chore. And commitment becomes claustrophobic. And uh, everywhere we look, there's people in need, right? Like you go to work and someone in need, you see someone in tears and you really don't wanna ask what's going on. Maybe you see a teenager that looks depressed and you just don't know what to say to teenagers. An elderly person that's grieving and you don't know how to respond. You're driving down the road and you see a car on the side of the road and you see a need. You go on social media and you see needs. You turn on the TV and you see needs everywhere. But I've discovered, I don't think the challenge is that we see the needs everywhere. I think the challenge is that we've become indifferent to seeing the needs around us. And the greatest evil in our world is not the perpetration of evil, doing evil things. It's indifference to evil. It's indifference to need. 
It's indifference to injustice. It's that people become invisible to us. It's, the problem is not that we, we see too much need. The problem is that we don't see enough need. The problem is that we don't notice people in need. We don't see their pain or their problems or their hurt because people are the problem and caring is a chore and commitment's claustrophobic. So doing a series looking through the book of Proverbs, a book that the moment you hear the title, you think it's like a fortune cookie book. And a lot of people read it like that. They read it kind of looking for a little pithy statement. And there are a lot of pithy statements in the book of Proverbs. There are a lot of, you know, cute little sayings, little phrases that you, you memorize them or you learn them. And you're like, oh, that's really good. And, and so we approach the book of Proverbs like a fortune cookie. We kind of open it up. And if it's got some good statement, we're like, oh, I appreciate that. And kind of tuck it into the back of our mind. And then we move on with life, but it wasn't written to just be a list of good ideas. It was meant to be filled with God ideas and more than God ideas, spiritual mandates, directives from God. Yes, written in 950 BC by King Solomon, who gathered together a lot of uh, spoken sayings the great thoughts passed down throughout generations in Hebrew history. He compiled them all together, wrote a lot of his own into it. And, and the whole challenge of the book of Proverbs is how to live skillfully. So I went looking for how to live skillfully by getting rid of cats. Uh, <laughs> I'm having fun. Probably I should stop because some of you are getting really hurt uh, by what I'm saying. I, I need to live a little more skillfully. Um, but the whole thing is this, how do you live skillfully? And so what he does, and I appreciate this, when he's talking about how to live skillfully in relationship, he contrasts what is not skillful and then what is skillful. So here's how not to do it, and then here's how to do it. And so I want to jump in to the book of Proverbs chapter 6, and we're going to go through a couple other uh, passages here, and he's just giving you some sayings, some Proverbs on how to avoid pitfalls. Here's some things to watch out for in relationships, and so here it is, Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, he says this, there are six things the Lord hates. So that, again, so not just like avoid this, God hates this. When we treat people like this, when we do this, you're upsetting God. Right? So this should be like the moment where you're like, whoa, write this down, pay attention, be aware of this. These are things that the Lord hates. There are seven things he cannot stand. And so this is a typical like Hebrew style of writing. They're like, I like four things. Actually, I really like five things. You know, like this is a typical um, approach to writing, very popular in ancient time. And so that's what he's doing here, why he says six, then seven. And here are the seven things that God can't stand. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that kill innocent people, a mind that thinks up evil plans, feet that are quick to do evil, a witness who lies, and someone who starts arguments among families. And then, if you jump ahead in the book of Proverbs, he comes to another statement. Again, ways that we should avoid, or we should avoid doing these things in order, in order to avoid the dangers and pitfalls in relationships. He said, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends, and against all sound judgment starts quarrels. Fools find no pleasure in understanding. 
but delight in erring their own opinions. Okay, that, I read through a lot there, right? And so I thought what I'd do is kind of take these verses and then turn them into 10 things. So God gave you seven things he hates, and I figured I would make it more. But basically, I, just, I took these verses, and I went, okay, I'm going to give you 10 ways to sabotage any relationship. So this is kind of like that movie, um, the, how, to, how to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Maybe you never saw it, but if you did, this woman's writing an article about, here's ways to wreck a, a relationship with a guy, okay? So 10 ways to sabotage any relationship. So I'm just going to go through this quickly. Expect much. Offer little. Take others for granted. Keep score by holding grudges. Win every disagreement. Always demand your way. Some of you are hearing this and you're like, ouch. I'm starting to feel uncomfortable, Patrick. Be a taker, not a giver. Always talk, never listen. Which basically is this idea of always have an answer, but never stop to ask any questions. You've always got something to say, but you never take the time to ask meaningful questions or listen to what someone else has to say. You don't offer appreciation to the people in your life. You don't say, I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness. And when others ask for forgiveness, you never forgive them when they say, I'm sorry. Okay, did you get all that? That's just like, basically what I did here is I just found all the grenades that I could find in relationships and it's like, whoo, pull the pins. And, and some of you, you've got a lot of explosions in relationship because you've been lobbying some of these 10 ways that you sabotage relationship. And so what I went through is, if you go through the book of Proverbs, he's writing, here are things that you do that God does not want you doing, that God is telling you to avoid doing, and yet you and I, we pull out the grenade, pull the pin, and start chucking it into our relationships, and we wonder why things are falling apart, blowing up in our life, and why we are hurting people and we get hurt. And so then what's the answer? And I, I basically found this proverb really captures the heart, the essence of solitude, Solomon's response to, okay, now here's what we do. And this kind of is the principle of the message. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. And uh, he goes, a friend loves at all times. And so the answer is that selfishness demands, love does. Selfishness expects, love offers. And so there's a principle within this passage, within the Proverbs, that we want to extract because it's not just a good idea, it's a God-given expectation. And the expectation that you could summarize from Proverbs would be this. This is the principle I want you to take note of and write down. Hopefully it, it goes from your hand, writing it down to your head. It sticks in your thinking, gets into your heart, and it begins to change the habits of your relationships. Here it is. Do first, I could have just stopped there. So I want you just to pause. And I want you to say, do, do. First. first. Do first. Do first what you're wanting others to do for you. Do first what you're waiting for others to do for you. This, is the, this captures the heart 
of the book of Proverbs, but beyond the book of Proverbs, it captures the heart of God. You and I, we want good relationships. We want meaningful friendships. We want authentic community. And yet we don't have that, we don't have those kind of relationships. In fact, most of us, when we get around people, we feel disconnected. We get busy comparing ourselves with other people. We get into environments and we start putting expectations on people. They should ask me about this. They should do this. I mean, we get to Valentine's Day and you had a whole list of expectations of what someone else should do for you. And, and the reason is because we are fundamentally hardwired to be selfish. Well, where did we get this from? Well, the problem is that you and I were born spiritually broken. There is a sabotaging force that lives inside of us called sin. And because you and I were born with sin, we are born driven by selfishness to sabotage relationships. We want authentic community. We want meaningful friendships. And yet we do the very things that sabotage them. You might not do all 10 of those that I gave you, but as I was going through it, you probably do a few of them. And the, the challenge is you don't need 10 grenades to blow things up. You chuck one, it's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy something. And so even if you're pulling from one of those 10, you're probably lobbing grenades into the relationships around you because we're driven by selfishness that's birthed or stirred in sin. Sin, the spiritual force that separates us from relationship with God and drives us toward doing what we want, tricking us to believe that because it feels good, it is good. And sin not only drives us to hurt people, throws relational grenades at other people, but sin drives us out of relationship with God into forever ruin, forever judgment. But God was unwilling to leave us like that and leave our relationships like that. And so God intervened in our story. In fact, I want to give you another proverb because it really helps me point you to how God intervened in our story. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 reads this way. He said, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born uh, for a time of adversity. And so I, I read this and, and the challenge is this, right? He's saying a friend loves at all times. So where do we go looking for a friend that loves at all times? Well, we come to the person of Jesus 950 years after this is written and we discover that only God loves at all times. And we discover that God intervened in our story. How? By becoming one of us. God didn't distance himself from us. He came into, he talks about that brother was made for a, born for a time of adversity. That's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth. He was born because of our adversity. He came to, a, to deal with the problem of our sin. And so he died on a cross to absorb the punishment that we deserve. To die in our death penalty and to absorb our eternal death sentence so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. He came to face our adversity. And so when he died, he paid the penalty for our sin so that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven of their sins. That, that sin selfishness is transformed. Well, how are we changed? Jesus not only died, he rose again from the dead and in the power of his resurrection, 
He gives new life to anyone who believes in him. How do we receive that new life? When you believe that Jesus died and he rose again, he gives you his spirit, his spirit in you, which begins to change you. His spirit, which is eternal and invisible. And his spirit in us begins to transform the way we live. And so now when we go back to what Jesus taught, it's not just a good idea or a good suggestion that we work really hard to accomplish. We discover that God has given us the spirit that enables us to do first what we are waiting for others to do. Let me, let me jump in. This is how Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter seven, Jesus is teaching and he says this. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This is exactly where I got it from. He said, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Now, interestingly, in AD 20, so about 10 years before Jesus would have said this, a rabbi in the Jewish community, uh, his name was Halal, uh, he said, the hateful things that you don't want others to do to you, don't do to them. This summarizes the law. Everything else is commentary. Go and learn this. Hillel was not the only one to say something like this. If you go back into ancient writings, there were other brilliant thinkers that said something similar about don't, in essence, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. You don't want somebody to punch you in the face, don't punch them in the face. You don't want somebody to steal to you, don't steal from them. You don't want somebody to lie about you, don't lie about them. You don't want somebody to spread rumors about you, don't spread rumors about them, right? Like you got it? But it's all passive. It's avoid doing the things you don't want others to do to you. Jesus turns it around. He flips it and he changes it to say, this isn't passive. This is active. This isn't avoiding. This is acting. Love, Jesus is giving out. He says, my kind of love doesn't just avoid doing things you don't want done to you. Love actively does first what you wish others would do for you. So here's what Jesus does. He wants a loving relationship with us. So he doesn't wait as God. He doesn't just wait around for you and I to love him. He steps out of heaven because he knew that it was impossible for us to love. The author Paul wrote, we love because God first loved us. The only reason we have the capacity to love is because God lavished his love on us. And so if you are struggling in relationship, if you're having a hard time not doing what you don't want others to do to you, and even harder time doing for others what you wish they would do for you, it might be because you haven't yet tapped into the source of God's love, which is rich and generous toward you and I. And the way we tap into that is through faith in Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and you rose again and I receive your spirit in my spirit. When you receive God's spirit in your spirit, you now have the source of love to share with others. 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, now this is where I'm going to switch gears and now I'm going into spiritual mandate mode. This is not just good ideas. This is, we must do this. We are not suggested to love. It's not a good idea to love. We are mandated to love. How will people know that we love Jesus? By our love. They will know we are Christians by our love. Now, if you're not a Christian yet, if you're wrestling through whether you believe in God, if you're an atheist here, hey, we're gonna get, we're, you're off the hook, all right? You don't have to like cats and you don't have to like people. But if you, like, if you love Jesus and you believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you must love. And when we say love, what we mean is you do first what you're waiting for others to do. So let's make this really practical. I'm gonna give you a couple of Proverbs and then I'm gonna explain it. And then I'm gonna give you a couple more Proverbs and I'm gonna explain it. I'm gonna give you two complimentary ideas. They go hand in hand on how you do first what you're waiting for others to do for you. Here it is, let love and faithfulness, notice how he combines these two ideas. So you do the right thing and you do it long enough. You, you act out your love and then you keep doing it even when you don't want to do it anymore. Even when your spouse doesn't bring home chocolate and flowers. Um, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, even if your spouse didn't get you a necklace. Wrap around your neck, love and faithfulness. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win, check this out. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And then Proverbs chapter 10, he says, hatred stirs up conflict. The things that God hates stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. Some of you, you're keeping track of wrongs. You're holding on to grudges. You're living with a chip on your shoulder because you have not tapped into God-like love. And then finally, we're going to jump ahead to the New Testament of the Bible. In essence, we're going to fast forward about a uh, little over a thousand years. And Ephesians, which is the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus, he writes this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So he goes, do the things that God did for you. What fills, spills. And so what's the, what's the idea here? Well, let me give you, again, I'm gonna give you two complimentary ideas. The first one is this. Be pleasant first while you're waiting for others to be pleasant. Just take a moment, just say, ouch. I don't think we're very good at this. Most of you, when you and I get into a disagreement, we expect the other person to come and say, I'm sorry. And then we say, I'm sorry. We want someone to be nice to us and then we become nice. But in Proverbs and in the command of Christ, we are responsible to be kind and compassionate just as God through Christ loved us, forgave us, was kind to us. The word loving kindness that I just read in that, book, in that passage in Proverbs, it actually means, in essence, this is the way you can understand what that word loving kindness means. It means it's good, and good for you. It feels good and does good. So let's start with that first one, which is be pleasant. It means be nice, play nice. Look, this is going back to kindergarten. Play 
nice with your classmates. Share your toys. Get along with each other. Don't hold grudges. Some of you, you act like a porcupine and you don't let anyone get near you or you bristle and you stab them with your quills. Put down your guard. Not everyone's out to get you or hurt you. And even if they are, soften them with your compassion and your kindness. Get the chip off your shoulder. Jesus paid so you could be free from that. Let go of your grudges. God let go of his grudge with you. So be pleasant. What that means is get rid of being rude and be nice. Be present. Listen carefully. See people. Just notice that they're there. Some of you, you've lived in the house with family members and you don't even notice them. You don't notice their tears. You don't notice their pain or their needs. Rather than being indifferent, people are invisible. See them, be present, listen carefully, and realize the burdens they're carrying and recognize that you, you need to be pleasant first while waiting for them to be pleasant to you, even if they never are pleasant to you. Be present be encouraging. Can I give you just a really quick challenge? Very often as a church, we challenge you to invite others to LifeHouse. We encourage you to share our content on social media. We encourage you to share um, the story of your life and share your faith in Jesus with others. And I thought when I was writing this message, I was going to tell you, don't do that. Um, Don't invite anyone to LifeHouse if you're not nice. So don't tell anybody about Jesus if you're not nice. Um, So be nice first, okay? Here's my rule. Be nice, then invite them to LifeHouse. Be nice, then share your faith in Jesus because people will interpret your God by how you live. And some of you, people think God is mean because you're mean. They have, you thought they rejected Jesus because they didn't like Jesus. They don't, their problem is not with Jesus. Their problem is with Christians. They didn't reject church because they didn't like church. They didn't like people who go to church. And so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand up here. I'm going to say this. Be nice first and then invite people. Be nice first and then talk about Jesus. Okay. This might change your entire world. Now let me give you the other half of the other, not the other half, just another thought of this. Proverbs chapter three, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is your power to act. And then Proverbs chapter 22, the generous will themselves be blessed. I mean, when you give it away, God gives to you for they share their food with the poor. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Meaning get, get people that are terrible in your life away from you. People that are bad influences on you. You don't spend time with them. Quarrels and insults are ended. One who loves a pure heart and who speaks with grace will have the king for a friend. You know what he's saying here? Be practical first while waiting for others to act. You're waiting for someone, you're waiting for everyone else to do something in your life. And what he's saying is, no, no, no. Do good while it's in your power to do the right thing. Here's the deal. Love is both pleasant and practical. 
It feels good and does good. Here's what I mean. Love says good morning. That's pleasant. And then makes the coffee. That's practical. It says, I love you. That's pleasant. And then takes out the trash. That's practical. Okay. And so let's, I'm going to just quickly give you the the thought on this. Let me jump back to another passage of scripture from the Bible. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives us freedom. That's the law of love. He's saying, you got to say it and show it. Here's his conclusion. Here's his challenge. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and a daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? His point is this. If you see someone starving hungry, don't say, I'll pray for you. Give them food. Love is practical. If you see someone who's cold, don't say, I'll pray that God warms your heart. Give them the coat off your back. That's what James is saying. You know what real faith is? Real faith, which is receiving God's love, And forgiveness gives forgiveness. What fills, spills. God loves you, you love others. I speak it, that's the pleasantness, and I share it, I show it, that's the practical nature. And so in what ways can you show others the love of God? In what way can you practically put into motion the love of God? How can, you wanna know how, you wanna know what a life hack for relationships? Do first what you're waiting for others to do to you. And when it comes to being practical, what are you waiting for those in your life to do for you? And then just simply do it first. Outdo them. Do it before them. You're waiting for them to ask for your forgiveness, offer forgiveness. You're waiting for somebody to make up in the argument, go to them first. You want them to ask you, you you want them to take you out to eat, offer to take them out to eat. Be generous, be kind, be forgiving, be loving, do it first. This is what God did for you through Jesus. He did first what he wants us to do next. And so to everyone else, we do first what we're waiting for them to do. And so I wanna challenge you. Would you right now, each of our campuses, those of you uh, joining us online, would you just close your eyes right now? Pray. Ask God what one commitment you can make. For some of you, that commitment is faith in Jesus asking him to forgive you of sin and give you new life. For others of you, you need to become pleasant by allowing God's spirit to change your heart. Others of you, you need to become practical. You need to put your love into action. Right now, would you pause and just pray and make one commitment today that would change everything about the way you live and love. Would you do that right now? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.